Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes now to 9 the time. Time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. Last week, an IFP councillor was shot dead in Nongomu and KwaZulu-Natal, an incident that saw people appearing to target him deliberately. They also shot dead two children who were in a minibus that happened to be passing at the time. It's just the latest in a series of incidents involving political killings in that province. In many cases, I, th- I suppose maybe most cases, the victims have been councillors sometimes from the IFP, sometimes from the ANC. But also, more recently, the Water Affairs Minister Senzo Mkunu told us that the launch of the new Mkunu Sizwe party, that seems primarily based in KZN, means that government should take measures to increase security in that province. He appears to be concerned about the elections and the possibility of violence during these elections. So then what is happening in KwaZulu-Natal and why is it that the police in particular are unable to stop killings linked to politics? First, this morning. The situation around local councillors and how dangerous has it been? The president of the South African Local Government Association is Beke Stofile. Then, the political situation, particularly going into these elections. Professor Berke Mgomazulu is director of the Centre for the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at Nelson Mandela University. And finally, Dr. Jean Redpath is a senior researcher at the African Centre for Criminal Justice Reform. We start then with Councillor Berke Stofile, the president of the South African Local Government Association. Mr. Stofile, good morning, sir, and thank you very much indeed for your time. Good morning, Stephen, and to your listeners, and thank you very much for having us. Firstly, have we we've seen so many killings of councillors in KwaZulu Natal? Has that number increased dramatically in the last few years, or even the last few months? Yes, um, as you will recall, at one point you had me in your show. One of the issues that I raised at the time was that we are worried about the killing of councillors, and at the time when you spoke to me. The number was hovering between uh, 17 and 18 councillors within a period of two months uh, since the the local government elections. And um, it it has been a worry. And of course, um, it has been increasing the killing uh, of councillors, municipal officials, uh, traditional leaders, and lately, uh, even people who are not necessarily related to local government, but who are directly involved with the service uh, delivery. And we have noticed that the killing of judges and many other people. So so it has been a worry to us as local government that the killing, it threatens those that want to render service to communities. Do you know, so, so we've seen in the past there was a dynamic that seemed to be different in local government compared to the dynamic in provincial and national governments. And what I mean is, you know, maybe five, ten years ago, you would see contestation inside political parties that would sometimes result in councillors being assassinated, and that, in fact, we would probably lose more people to political violence in local elections than during national and provincial elections. Does that dynamic still hold? Is there a different uh, sort of something different going on in local politics to what's going on in provincial and national politics. And I ask this question because it's a national and provincial election. What what we have noticed to, to, to me, the dynamics still start, but I'm still the same, but uh, we are seeing uh, the killing now is getting through other sectors of the economy. I mean, killing a judge for presiding over a case mm. and a killing of a traditional leaders and, and, and so on. To me, Stephen, um, uh, it talks volume about morals uh, that have gone through the window. 
uh, in our country since uh, the democratic breakthrough. Uh, after celebrating the freedom and everything, uh, now people begin to behave in a manner uh, that is not very far from being classified to be animals because taking a life of a person because you happen to disagree with, really it, it sends a lot of uh, message. And of course, there is a possibility if uh, these killings are just allowed to happen like uh, as it is, it, it possibility is that it's going to spread to, to, to other elections and other spaces, I mean faces. Uh, of uh, human life. So, so yes, it, is a, it should be a worrying factor. I mean, for instance, if I can make just one example to show that he is spreading. Now he's moving from councillors, municipal officials, traditional leaders. In the Eastern Cape, for instance, last week I got from uh, our team there, uh, business people are killed uh, and then they're asked to give a, a, a protection fee. So we are moving as a country where an individual will be so difficult to perform his duty except to pay extra amount to be protected. Um, are you concerned that as we go into a provincial and national election, we could start to see uh, more violence in some way? And I know a lot of people are focusing on the fact that there's another sort of new party out of the ANC. I don't know if, that, if that's a factor or not. We'll sort of get into that in a little while. But are you concerned that the um let me put it this way are you concerned that the temperature is rising at this particular time because of the election or do you think the election is actually not that big a factor we we are always concerned Stephen. Uh, one and, and and remember my, my my point is that what it has been in magic to us very clear is a, is a, is a moral issues that we have lost now once you have lost moral conduct, then it means the, 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 the emergency of killing is going to be rife, and is going to be rife not necessarily in local state, as we've seen in the recent past couple of uh, weeks and months now, now is moving towards other uh, interested groups, for instance, uh, those that are, are, are rendering service in, in a different format, like one says, a senior manager of Randwater shot to be killed, or he was killed in, in Houting recently. And, and this, to me, uh, is possible that is going to go to elections as part of threatening those that might disagree with the particular politics and many other things. And to us, that is the worry. Our biggest worry, uh, Stephen, is the inability to curb the killing. Mm arrest successfully and prosecute uh, those that are doing that. But secondly, a premium to be put on the redressing or re- I mean, going back to the moral issues because South Africa has established a moral regeneration movement. What happened with that? What that investment, where did it go? And how we then use that investment to restore morals to our communities? Thank you very much indeed. The president of the South African Local Government Association really appreciate the time. You're with SFM, 18 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation continues about the situation in KwaZulu-Natal and uh, I suppose what might be the potential for some violence during the elections. Professor Berki Mgomzulu is the director of the Centre for the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at Nelson Mandela University. Professor Mgomzulu, good morning and thank you for your time. 
Uh, good morning, Steve, and good morning to your uh, listeners and to your colleagues. If we look at the elections in KwaZulu-Natal in particular, we've had three of the four biggest political parties. They're all having their election manifesto launches in the same stadium in Durban. Why is KZN suddenly so contentious? No, thank you very much, uh, my brother. Yes, indeed, uh, KZN is uh, a place to go to for politicians uh, as we uh, uh, head for the elections. There are a number of reasons for that. One, if you look at uh, the numbers that have been released by the IEC, uh, they show you that Gauteng uh, 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 leads the pack, and it is followed by um, KZN. So that tells you that indeed uh, there is a lot of stake uh, if you were to garner support from uh, KZN outside of Gauteng. So obviously then uh, most political parties would like to uh, have, um, uh, to say, a footprint in Guadalupe Natal uh, so that they can better their chances uh, in, the forthcoming, in the forthcoming election. Secondly, uh, history tells us that Guadalupe uh, Natal remains the biggest province of the ANC. So if you want to unseat the ANC, you definitely have to make inroads in Guadalupe Natal. And on its side, uh, the ANC would also want to consolidate its power in KZN. And then thirdly and most importantly, uh, you would have seen that uh, in Guadalupe Natal, the most prominent parties will be your ANC, your IFP, and then the DA and the EFF are making inroads. But the IFP and the ANC have been the ones that have been battling it out in Guadalupe Natal. So with the IFP having forced the relations with the DA, they want to also make sure that uh, they amass their chances of um, weakening the ANC. And then the, the last factor is, of course, the emergence of Mkondo Ecclesia, which also has significant presence in Guadalupe Natal, although it also has, has footprints in other provinces. So a combination of, of all those factors therefore mean that uh, if you are serious about winning an election, an uh, indigenous election, you definitely have to make sure that uh, you have a significant presence in Guadalupe Natal. In the past, to my memory, we've seen very little uh, violence between supporters of one party and supporters of another. There have been incidents, absolutely. But it's never been sort of widespread. It's never been particularly intense. Obviously, that's not true for the transition. That's obviously not true between the ANC and the IFP in the 1990s. But if I say, from, for argument's sake, from the year 2000 until now, we've seen people pushing and shoving each other. There have been plenty of shouting. But there hasn't really been, to my memory, uh, Professor, your memory will be better, um, you know, sort of violence between supporters of one party and supporters of another. Do you think that's going to change? I mean, we've seen violence within parties and targeted killings within parties. But do you think we're going to see something different? Uh, We are are posing a very critical question. We we normally draw a distinction between intra-party violence and inter-party violence. Intra-party violence referring to violence that happens within the same political party when individuals are vying for positions. And then, of course, inter-party violence where party A targets party B, whatever the case may be. So the reality then is that uh, these will differ in magnitude, but they will always be there. There will be times when uh, you find that uh, members of the same political party are eliminating one another, especially on the eve of an election. This makes it easier because if, if you and I are in the same political party and I wait for the eve of an election to take you out or you to take me out, uh, it will be assumed that uh, the enemy is from next door. In other words, they will invoke the inter-party squabbles when, in fact, it's something that is happening from within the same political party. So that fact will always be there. The only difference will be the magnitude.
Then the second factor, especially if you look at places like uh, Nongoma, this is a very uh, critical place because uh, uh, there is a situation there where you have um, the NFP having a significant presence, you have the IFP, and then, of course, uh, uh, you have the ANC uh, who are picking it out. Then uh, today, uh, the, 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 the municipality is run by uh, the IFP. Then the NFP and the ANC come together. They out the IFP, but then there are some within the NFP who want to work with the ANC while others want to work with the IFP. So we have a messy situation. Even before you bring in any fourth or fifth party, you already have a problem uh, that concerns uh, the IFP, the NFP, and the ANC. Then you bring in the criminal element, then the situation gets out of hand. So I would say that uh, as much as it is true that there are politicians who kill one another within political parties, there are also instances where other political parties kill those they consider to be enemies, political enemies, mm. which, in my view, comes back to the point that my colleague from Salga was saying. One, we have moral decay. And then secondly, you have myopia or short-sightedness. Because if you, even if I kill you, you have all the requisite skills and knowledge to take the, the, the country forward. And then I kill you, mm. I remain, I know nothing. And then, of course, I'm going to leave the country somewhere where nobody wants to go. And then, of course, you'll find that in some instances, there are people who kill just for the sake of killing because they are being paid to do so. Not because they have any issue with you, not because they have any issue with me, but because they've been paid to kill us and they will do just this for money and for nothing else. It, it has nothing to do with politics, it has everything to do with money. And that too is in fact a short-sightedness because it means that uh, you are eliminating all the people mm. who have made your life easier and then you are bringing in people who have no clue as to what they are doing and then the result, uh, of course, will be that you'll be complaining about one problem after the other because people you have left behind are people who don't have the requisite skills and knowledge to address those issues. Is there a greater potential for violence when people move from one party to another? What I'm trying to get to, and I'm not going to use any examples here, but if we have several political parties called A, B, C, and D, uh, someone might have belonged to political party A and someone else might belong to political party D and they've always belonged to those two political parties and they've always disagreed with each other and that's sort of been fine for 20 years. But if someone leaves political party A and forms political party B, is there now a greater risk of violence between the supporters of political party A and political, political party B rather than political party A and political party D, which members have always stayed in one place? You know, you're absolutely right, Stephen, because, uh, you know, it comes back to the point I was making, uh, that of short-sightedness. The fact that uh, you and I are in the same political party today, but we disagree on one or two things, does not mean that the moment one of us leaves to join political party B, therefore that gives the other one a license to kill. That is short-sightedness. Because um, uh, in, in politics, we normally say there are no permanent friends and there are no permanent enemies. You could be defined as my political enemy today, only to find that tomorrow you will be the one who's going to rescue me or I'm going to rescue you. So therefore, it doesn't necessarily mean that because we have political differences, then we should kill one another. But these things happen, unfortunately. Whether our politicians are aware of the bigger picture, I'm not too sure. But this, this comes back to the point I've made in previous discussions, that uh, it's because we have now career politicians. People who are not necessarily politicians, but who happen to be politicians uh, due to uh, one reason or the other. 
some of, of course, I was saying in one meeting that uh, there are politicians who have climbed on corpses to be where they are. In other words, they didn't have what it, what it takes to be leaders, but they became leaders because they took kill to get those positions. Others had to exchange brown envelopes to get those positions. And this shows one, people are in office. One, they are not delivering services. Two, they silence anyone who is a critic. The moment you criticize them, they describe you as an enemy, which is not necessarily the case. We may disagree on a particular issue, but still remain friends. We may disagree on a particular, particular issue, but still remain relatives. So this kind of thinking, I think for me, it boils down to one thing, lack of political education. The moment we educate our politicians and make them see the bigger picture beyond this election, beyond the next election, and say, this is a South African, mm. this is someone who has the potential to take this country forward. The fact that today he's operating from party A, tomorrow it's been party C or party B, should not be an issue. The point is, we need people with the requisite skills and knowledge to take this country forward. Unfortunately, most of our politicians don't see it that way. If they can't make their hands dirty by killing you, they will then hire someone to do the job. Even if I hire someone, I'm the one who has killed you. Sure. It's just that I didn't pull the trigger. That is, that is an effect nobody can deny. Professor Bekim Gomazulu, thank you. Professor of uh, Political Science and Director of the Centre for the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at Nelson Mandela University. In a moment, Dr. Jean Redpath. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Six minutes to nine, the time. Good morning. Continue mediated conversation about the political situation in KwaZulu-Natal and the potential risk of uh, some violence in some form. Dr. Jean Redpath is a senior researcher at African Criminal Justice Reform at the Dalla Omar Institute. Dr. Redpath, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning to you and the listeners. We've seen a high level of violence related to politics in KwaZulu-Natal. As we heard from Bekestofile earlier, there's a risk it could spread to other areas. For years in KZN, we've had a very weak policing response. Is there a problem with the police in KwaZulu-Natal or a problem with the policing there? So what we have to remember that policing and politics in KwaZulu-Natal have a long history of being caught up with each other, starting from the transition in 1995, where the KwaZulu police were absorbed into the South African police. And as a result, the the provisions of the interim constitution were actually substantially altered so that provinces would have very little control over policing because there were fears that these elements of the KwaZulu police would be um, faithful to the Encarta Freedom Party and not to the ANC, um, who would be in national government. Then over, over the years, we've actually had, ironically, three commissions of inquiry which have looked into policing, uh, provincial commissions of inquiry into policing in KwaZulu-Natal, starting with the Taxi Commission in 2000, which found that people who were employed in the police were closely involved in the taxi industry um, and, and implicated in the violence in that industry. And then in 2005, I heard one of the previous speakers speak about the, the how crucial Nongoma is. There were protests in Nongoma and um, the police didn't act against the protesters. And the then provincial commissioner, Becky Kele, uh, instituted a commission of inquiry, which the police did not cooperate with at all um, at that time. Fast forward to 2016, and there was another provincial commission of inquiry, particularly on the issue of the killings of uh, politicians in the province. And this was mostly killings of ANC politicians by other factions um, within the ANC. But 
as far as policing goes, this uh, commission was chaired by Advocate Maruma Murani. He, the, the, the commission found serious allegations against the SAPs in the province. And in fact, they presented 31 pages of allegations to the, to the SAPs leadership, including tampering with evidence, failing to call witnesses, inexplicably releasing suspects, uh, intimidation, political inference, even torture, harassment. And there was the, the most important allegation was of political interference, that they, they only acted when political leaders told them to act. Now, unfortunately, provincial commissions have very little, they're toothless in the sense, their power is in, in, in bringing to light what is happening in, in a particular place or in a particular province. But the, the, in terms of recommendations, they don't have very many powers. And the report was released in 2018 and the number one uh, recommendation was for depoliticization um, of the police service and and for you know closer um, uh, looking into the recruitment into the police. So you know this is nothing new actually. Um, what is new perhaps is that even a party such as the DA has has now lost a leader to a political assassination with the mm -hmm. chief whip in Mgani being assassinated. So it is spreading beyond the usual suspects, as one of the previous speakers said. So not just political leaders of the ANC or the IFP, but other political parties, uh, people who are in charge of service delivery, traditional leaders. And in essence, it seems to be about money. Um, ultimately, it is about the levers of power over money. And at local level, it is much easier to to um, manipulate those levers of power than it is perhaps at provincial and national level, which is why we see so much uh, violence targeted at local councillors. I presume then that this is not about a shortage of resources in KwaZulu-Natal. I'm talking about investigation resources. The police budget there must be the same as it is everywhere else. And also, I would imagine that if they wanted to, the people in national government would probably have the legal power uh, to remove, uh, I mean, whole tiers of provincial leadership in KwaZulu-Natal and replace them with people from other parts of the country if they really wanted to do a wholesale change. Yes, yeah, so they would, would have the power to move people around and perhaps to discipline and, and so on. But the, your point about resources is interesting because actually the devil is in the detail. When you go into the detail, you find that former the areas of the former KwaZulu-Natal homeland still have the rates of policing they had during apartheid. In other words, very low rates. Um, and, and so it is there where there is uh, impunity for all kinds of violence because it, those police in those areas can quite legitimately say we are under-resourced. So the, the, the former white areas of, of KwaZulu-Natal still boast uh, better rates of policing. Now, the quality of that policing is what is under question here as well. But there is also this element of this misallocation of resources, which is, which is based on um, reported crime, which is in turn based on trust in police, which is in turn lowest in the former um, homeland areas where there's this long history uh, of political contestation. And so you have the self-reinforcing system where the resources allocated to those areas remain low, even though you have a violence that is very high as reflected in the murder rates. 
Dr. Jean Redpath, really appreciate the time. So many other questions to ask you, but I'm afraid we are out of time. A senior researcher at, at African senior researcher at the African Criminal Justice Reform uh, Initiative. My thanks also to Professor Bekim Gomazulu, a professor of political science and a director of the Center for the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at Nelson Mandela University. And starting us off today, the president of the South African Local Government Association, Beke Stofile.